Chapter Twenty Three of the Adventures of Captain Hatteras, Part Two, The Field of Ice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Captain Hatteras, Part Two, The Field of Ice, by Jules Verne. Chapter Twenty Three, The English Flag. For a few seconds they seemed stupefied, and then a cry of Hatteras broke from every lip. On all sides nothing was visible but the tempestuous ocean. Duke barked desperately, and Bell could hardly keep him from leaping into the waves. "'Take the helm, Altamont,' said the doctor, "'and let us try our utmost to find our poor captain.' Johnson and Bell seized the oars, and rowed about for more than an hour, but their search was vain. Hatteras was lost lost and so near the pole just as he had caught sight of the goal the doctor called and shouted and fired signals and duke made piteous lamentations but there was no response clawbonny could bear up no longer he buried his head in his hands and fairly wept aloud at such a distance from the coast it was impossible hatteras could reach it alive without an oar or even so much as a spar to help him if ever he touched the haven of his desire it would be as a swollen mutilated corpse longer search was useless and nothing remained but to resume the route north the tempest was dying out and about five in the morning on the eleventh of july the wind fell and the sea gradually became calm the sky recovered its polar clearness and less than three miles away the land appeared in all its grandeur the new continent was only an island or rather a volcano fixed like a lighthouse on the north pole of the world the mountain was in full activity pouring out a mass of burning stones and glowing rock at every fresh eruption there was a convulsive heaving within as if some mighty giant were respiring and the masses ejected were thrown up high into the air amidst jets of bright flame streams of lava rolling down the sides in impetuous torrents in one part serpents of fire seemed writhing and wriggling among smoking rocks and in another the glowing liquid fell in cascades in the midst of purple vapor into a river of fire below formed of a thousand igneous streams which emptied itself into the sea the waters hissing and seething like a boiling cauldron apparently there was only one crater to the volcano out of which the columns of fire issued streaked with forked lightning electricity seemed to have something to do with this magnificent panorama above the panting flames waved an immense plume-shaped cloud of smoke red at its base and black at its summit it rose with incomparable majesty and unrolled in thick volumes the sky was ash color to a great height and it was evident that the darkness that had prevailed while the tempest lasted which had seemed quite inexplicable to the doctor was owing to the columns of cinders overspreading the sun like a thick curtain he remembered a similar phenomenon which occurred in the barbados where the whole island was plunged in profound obscurity by the mass of cinders ejected from the crater of isle st vincent this enormous ignovamus rock in the middle of the sea was six thousand feet high just about the altitude of hecla 
It seemed to rise gradually out of the water as the boat got nearer. There was no trace of vegetation. Indeed, there was no shore. The rock ran straight down to the sea. Can we land? said the doctor. The wind is carrying us right to it, said Altamont, but I don't see an inch of land to set our foot upon. It seems so at this distance, said Johnson, but we shall be sure to find some place to run in our boat at, and that is all we want. Let us go on, then, said Clawbonny dejectedly. He had no heart now for anything. The North Pole was indeed before his eyes, but not the man who had discovered it. As they got nearer the island, which was not more than eight or ten miles in circumference, the navigators noticed a tiny fjord, just large enough to harbor their boat, and made towards it immediately. They feared their captain's dead body would meet their eyes on the coast, and yet it seemed difficult for a corpse to lie on it, for there was no shore, and the sea broke on steep rocks, which were covered with cinders above watermark. At last the little sloop glided gently into the narrow opening between the two sandbanks just visible above the water where she would be safe from the violence of the breakers But before she could be moored Duke began howling and barking again in the most piteous manner as if calling on the cruel sea and stony rocks to yield up his lost master the doctor tried to calm him by caresses but in vain the faithful beast as if he would represent the captain sprang on shore with a tremendous bound sending a cloud of cinders after him duke duke called clawbonny but duke had already disappeared after the sloop was made fast they all got out and went after him altamont was just going to climb to the top of a pile of stones when the doctor exclaimed listen duke was barking vehemently some distance off but his bark seemed full of grief rather than fury has he come on the track of some animal do you think asked johnson no no said claw bunny shuddering his bark is too sorrowful it is the dog's tear he has found the body of hatteras they all four rushed forward in spite of the blinding cinder dust and came to the far end of a fjord where they discovered the dog barking round a corpse wrapped in the british flag hatteras hatteras cried the doctor throwing himself on the body of his friend but the next minute he started up with an indescribable cry and shouted alive alive Yes said a feeble voice yes alive at the North Pole on Queen's Island Hurrah for England shouted all with one accord and for America added Clawbonny holding out one hand to Hatteras and the other to Altamont Duke was not far behind with his hurrah which was worth quite as much as the others for a few minutes the joy of recovery of their captain filled all their hearts and the poor fellows could not restrain their tears The doctor found on examination that he was not seriously hurt the wind threw him on the coast where landing was perilous work But after being driven back more than once into the sea the hardy sailor had managed to scramble onto a rock and gradually to hoist himself above the waves then he must have become insensible for he remembered nothing more except rolling himself in his flag He only awoke to consciousness with the loud barking and caresses of his faithful Duke After a little Hatteras was able to stand up supported by the doctor and tried to get back to the sloop He kept on exclaiming the pole the North Pole you are happy now said his friend Yes happy and are not you 
isn't it a joy to find yourself here the ground we tread on is round the pole the air we breathe is the air that blows round the pole the sea we have crossed is a sea which washes the pole oh the north pole the north pole he had become quite delirious with excitement and fever burned in his veins his eyes shone with unnatural brilliancy and his brain seemed on fire perfect rest was what he most needed for the doctor found it impossible to quiet him a place of encampment must therefore be fixed upon immediately altamont speedily discovered a grotto composed of rocks which had so fallen as to form a sort of cave johnson and bell carried in provisions and gave the dogs their liberty about eleven o'clock breakfast or rather dinner was ready consisting of pemmican salt meat and smoking hot tea and coffee but hatteras would do nothing till the exact position of the island was ascertained and so the doctor and altamont set to work with their instruments and found that the exact latitude of the grotto was eighty-nine degrees fifty-nine minutes fifteen seconds the longitude was of little importance for all the meridians blended a few hundred feet higher the ninety degrees of latitude was then only about three-quarters of a mile off or just about the summit of the volcano when the result was communicated to hatteras he desired that a formal document might be drawn up to attest the fact and two copies made one of which should be deposited in a cairn on the island Clawbonny was the scribe and indicted the following document a copy of which is now among the archives of the royal geographical society of london on this eleventh day of july eighteen sixty one in north latitude eighty nine degrees fifty nine minutes fifteen seconds was discovered queen's island at the north pole by captain hatteras commander of the brig forward of liverpool who signs this as also all his companions whoever may find this document is requested to forward it to the admiralty signed john hatteras commander of the forward dr clawbonny altamont commander of the porpoise johnson boatswain bell carpenter and now friends come to table said the doctor merrily coming to table was just squatting on the ground but who said clawbunny would not give all the tables and dining-rooms in the world to dine at eighty-nine degrees fifty-nine minutes and fifteen seconds north latitude it was an exciting occasion this first meal at the pole what neither ancients nor moderns neither europeans nor americans nor asiatics had been able to accomplish was now achieved and all past sufferings and perils were forgotten in the glow of success but after all said johnson after toasts to hatteras and the north pole had been enthusiastically drunk what is there so very special about the north pole will you tell me mr clawbonny just this my good johnson it is the only point of the globe that is motionless all the other points are revolving with extreme rapidity but i don't see that we're any more motionless here than at liverpool because in both cases you are a party concerned both in the motion and the rest but the fact is certain Clawbonny then went on to describe the diurnal and annual motions of the earth the one round its own axis the extremities of which are the poles which is accomplished in twenty-four hours and the other round the sun which takes a whole year 
Bell and Johnson listened half incredulously and couldn't see why the earth could not have been allowed to keep still till Altamont informed them that they would then have had neither day nor night nor spring summer autumn and winter ay and worse still said clawbunny if the motion chanced to be interrupted we should fall right into the sun in sixty-four and a half days what take sixty-four and a half days to fall exclaimed johnson yes we are ninety-five millions of miles off but when i say the pole is motionless it is not strictly true it is only so in comparison with the rest of the globe for it has a certain movement of its own and completes a circle in about twenty-six thousand years this comes from the precession of the equinoxes a long and learned talk was started on this subject between altamont and the doctor simplified however as much as possible for the benefit of bell and johnson hatteras took no part in it and even when they went on to speculate about the earth's center and discussed several of the theories that had been advanced respecting it he seemed not to hear it was evident his thoughts were far away among other opinions put forth was one in our own days which greatly excited altamont's surprise it was held that there was an immense opening at the poles which led into the heart of the earth and that it was out of the opening that the light of the aurora borealis streamed this was gravely stated and captain sinus a countryman of our own actually proposed that sir humphrey davy humboldt and arago should undertake an expedition through it but they refused and quite right too said altamont so say i but you see my friends what absurdities imagination has conjured up about these regions and how sooner or later the simple reality comes to light end of chapter twenty three